Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Colony Drop, your favorite Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac. And my name is Brian, and this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise. From the anime, to the movies, to the music, to the models, to the CG trilogy from the mid-2000s, Isaac, known as MS Igloo. That's right, Brian. And today we are going to be wrapping up our discussion on MS Igloo because we're talking about the third and final episode series of MS Igloo, Gravity Front. Yeah, you know what's confusing to me, Isaac, is that the first MS Igloo <laughs> is called MS Igloo, the Hidden One Year War. The next one is MS Igloo Apocalypse 0079. And then the third one is called MS Igloo 2, the Gravity Front. Does that just yeah. like not throw off your OCD a little bit? Does it need the two? I'll say half yes, <laughs> because <laughs> this is a completely different story with different characters. We didn't really yeah. get that with the uh, the initial story. And more to the point, uh, this is actually a completely different perspective on the war because we're switching to Federation characters. That's right. The first two trilogies followed the, what was it, the 603rd Technical Evaluation yeah. Unit of, of Zeon or some some mumbo jumbo like that we kind of are ditching all of that for this third outing so we're, we're starting over from the federation's point of view i walked into this blind brian i had no idea what the story would be what would actually be happening i just had briefly heard that it'll be from the federation side did you know anything walking into it uh, i did a little bit because one of the listeners who brought this up warned me <laughs> that the final outing was <laughs> weird <laughs> and he mentioned that there was a grim reaper in it and I was like, oh, that sounds strange. Maybe that's just someone's, like, you know, nickname. You know how, like, Shard the Red <laughs> Comet or Johnny Ryden, you know, the Crimson Lightning. I was like, maybe this dude's just the Grim Reaper. No. Nope. No. <laughs> A literal <laughs> metaphysical <laughs> Grim Reaper. Yeah. You know, I, you did mention to me the, the an angel of death kind of Grim Reaper thing shows up, and I thought to myself initially, okay, it's going to be like the skull and the hood and have like a scythe, right? And then, yeah. unfortunately, I was I was a bit short sighted, and I forgot that this this is created by a Japanese team, so naturally they put in their version of what the death would look like. It's like a Final Fantasy version of a Grim Reaper. Absolutely. Sephiroth dyed his hair black and decided to visit the Universal Century. So <laughs> it's pretty much that. And um, I was not too happy with the scenes where death shows up, but I maybe we'll get into more detail with that as we talk about each episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts uh, as a whole, Isaac, on this? Loved the first two MS Igloos. It was a very well done story. This, though, was very... Um, stumbling i would describe it as a stumbling story because each episode we change characters and also we don't see a lot of mobile suit combat being used by the protagonists in our story they're federation but really only one shows mobile suit usage mm -hmm. so it was very much a gundam side story with very little mobile suits it was interesting, though, to see things from this perspective and to see a lot of the early parts of the war and how they did or didn't go well, some of the middle parts also, but um, it was uh, not as good. <laughs> <laughs> not as good as the first MS Igloo series with Xeon. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Xeon fan. I'm just saying that because story-wise, action-wise, the development of the characters, uh, it was done way better in the first two parts compared to this final part, Gravity Front. Yeah, I think I would largely agree that the first two outings were probably superior to this 
and it kind of just makes me wonder why they went this road. Maybe they were really just trying to do something different with the whole death god, angel of death thing. Because to me, that really wasn't necessary. And it was just kind of like in the way. I guess that was really the only character that we saw through all three episodes. Maybe like the commander guy or the major guy, whatever his name is. Yeah. But he was really annoying. Like, I didn't really like him. No, no. He was like pretty arrogant. Yeah. And I, even like one of the, I think Lewis, one of the, the gunnery guys, they jokingly call him like the great general, right? Something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like you, I think every time that the angel of death popped up, I was like, oh, really? Yeah. Well, kind of a bummer. Maybe some people really like it. I don't know. To me, I wasn't a huge fan of that. And then I don't know what your thought on this is. One thing I didn't like as much about this one is that that I loved about the first two, and I didn't realize until watching this third one, is that, like you said, only one of them really has mobile suit combat. And the third one that did have the mobile suit combat was the one that had the new unit, the new gun tank. And that's when I realized that every single new unit that was introduced in the first two MS Igloos, they were almost their own character. And we don't have that here in the first two episodes of, of this uh, third outing, right? The first two episodes, we, we follow a infantry unit, and then we follow a tank unit. And the tank unit is literally not like the Hidolfer <laughs> or or the, the gun <laughs> tank in the third episode here. It's like literally like the, the normal Type 61 tanks. So they're not quite as yeah. exciting, I think. So that was a little disappointing. But the right. I still think the battles were pretty good. I thought they were well well thought out, well choreographed. And I, I thought out of the three episodes in this outing, the one that felt the most similar to the, the previous six episodes was the final episode. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That one actually had mobile suit on mobile suit combat. Yeah. <laughs> on top of that, it had something pretty interesting, which was a female pilot. Mm. We don't see those every day. Yeah. So that was cool. They all had something interesting about them that I liked. Yeah, I'm not saying I hated this thing and oh, I can't believe I had to watch it. Well, you know, this was it was a root canal. <laughs> There's something I enjoyed about all of them. I think they're still fun to watch if you're a Gundam fan, just to sort of flesh things out. But overall, I would have much rather have gone back to see what was going on with uh, Oliver May. What happened to Cadillac? That would have been a great wrap up scene. You know, a three part series about them after a Bawakoo. But yeah. instead, we decided to do a, a bit of a time jump or a time reversal flashback on uh, in MS Igloo. And we see the opening days of the uh, Xeon invasion of Earth in episode one. In episode two, we see, um, I think, pretty close to the beginning of the war as well. And then three is about of the time of Odessa or a little bit after Odessa, I think. Yeah, that's right. All right, Isaac, let's yeah. let's take our uh, our Xeon landing capsule down into episode oh, one man <laughs> yeah yeah episode one opens up with xeon invading earth you get to see the i think the papuas right yeah. doing their big little their little airdrop they're dropping in all these uh drop pods and i had no idea they were this maneuverable did you brian we see one like almost land on earth and then <laughs> it does like a spinneroonie <laughs> I wrote down the same thing I wrote. These pods seem pretty agile. Must have been yeah. made by the same people who made the Magellans and the Salamis. Oh, <laughs> we stole their thrusters. <laughs> like Those are really good thrusters. We should put those on our drop pads. 
So yes, our our story episode one opens with Zeon invading Earth. Kaecilia is giving this really cool speech. I thought that would be something Garen would do, but mm. wow, good for you, Kaecilia. <laughs> so we see them dropping in, and oh man, the Federation infantry is running for their lives. They're being shot at by Zeon infantry and Zaku's coming out of these drop pods. It's just a massacre, and I'm pretty sure this is a uh, all happening in Europe as uh, Zeon chose that as their I think their first landing point. Right, this is like early on. I think this is in March and April-ish time frame. So way before Federation is breaking out mobile suits here. If you think back to the original series, the Gundam didn't show up until I believe September. You know, still very, very early days. And I got to say, the Federation troops, not doing well. Not doing well, Isaac. No, completely disorganized, just running for their lives and uh, demoralized. And who's more demoralized than our main character, <laughs> Barberry? He's the head of a platoon of an anti-mobile suit specialized unit, I think they're called. They have a very specialized weapon, a type of missile that's anti-mobile suit. Yeah. It's called the Regina. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this poor guy, Barberry, he's down in the dumps um, because I think he said he lost his original unit he lost all his men originally and he he thinks he's the god of death because when he's with his men they inevitably die (laughs) yeah this is very much like a sanders situation from 8th ms team right yeah but i mean uh, sanders kind of keeping it together and keep going (laughs) but barbary he the general he talks to you know general arrogance he had to really kind of hammer into him like hey you're the last anti-mobile suit platoon we have we need you to you know go on this mission to take out some of these zakus oh did you catch the uh the name drop ryan i did uh, i did oh yeah matilda so not only was there the the lieutenant matilda uh, name drop yeah matilda squad (laughs) i thought that the major chose a really interesting word to to tell him what to do he said all right barbary go reconstitute your platoon and help defend the battalion and i was like that's odd because that was like right before you knew that basically everyone dies every time with this guy and he's always the only one left so that was pretty sad but yeah so that's his mission if he's gonna help defend something while the the bigger forces get resupplied by our our favorite uh, resupply person from the original series, Lieutenant Matilda. It was so cool hearing her name. She was such a good person. It's it's sad knowing what happens, but I'm, I was like, oh, okay, good. Like even at this point in the war, they knew that like if if you needed something, Matilda would guarantee you could get it. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is also um, I think Barbara is sitting by the tree when he he's thinking about death and you know, how bad of a situation he's in when he actually sees his first vision mm-hmm. of death. Mm-hmm. And um, this is something that will repeat through the next few episodes. But for some of the characters, they can actually see death. And death did not appear how I thought. <laughs> Almost androgynous, but it has... I think they said it was male, but it actually has a female voice. Oh, really? I always thought she was female, but interesting. Yeah. Maybe I heard that wrong or understood the situation wrong. But yeah, it sounds like a woman. I mean, I guess angels are known for like an androgynous appearance sometimes, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's death, right? Death can come for anybody, so maybe it needs to sound and look like anybody. But anyways, Barbary heads out with his unit, and to their credit, they sound a bit gung-ho. Yeah. What a terrible, like, <laughs> what a terrible assignment. How down in the dumps do you have to be to volunteer to, to do this job, Isaac? This is, this is a terrible job. 
I mean, I'm I'm trying to think like the Federation probably had enough intel to know that okay, we lost in space against mobile suits. <laughs> Xeon's probably going to bring them to Earth when they inevitably come in the you know a few weeks. Let's design these big you know missiles that we're able to fire at mobile suits on the ground, and you know maybe a few of them will land. They'll be cheap. We can pamper them out. You know they'll be ready to go in case of an invasion. Yeah, but like, okay, so they give the missiles to like, you know, whatever, 20 of these guys, and they're like, all right, go stand behind this rock and wait for the Zaku to like show up. Like, I don't <laughs> think the rock is going to help you, man. No, no, but th- I mean, they did kind of try and dig in and stuff, <laughs> but um, man, this is a, a bad showing for Zeon too, right? Because Barbary and his men get into position, right? They're waiting to ambush these Zakus that are going to come at them. Yep. And, um, the first Zaku they see is chasing like a defenseless supply truck <laughs> and it, it destroys a supply truck. <laughs> it does. It's just like this little van. That's so terrible. Yeah. And then the poor guy, like I guess the driver or one of the passengers of the supply truck lives and he tries to run out and the Zaku doesn't even decide to like use weapons against him. It decides to just slowly march after him and then squish him like a bug. That was, that was pretty obscene. Was bad. All right, yeah. I, I might be Zeon, but man, Come on, we, we we have, it's beneath you to do that to infantry and defenseless trucks. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't even really have to kill him. What's he going to do? Yeah, he has no weapon. Just let him run away. I mean, you know, that's just killing yeah. for the sake of killing, right? Right, yeah. And, oh, man, was it me or did it take a lot of prep to get three missiles ready to fire at the Zaku? It did, yeah. The Reginas don't seem like a quick weapon, except maybe when Barbary uses it at the end, but... And one thing I did like in pretty much all these episodes, they're very specific with the number of units involved. And I I like that because it's not just like an endless stream of grunts. There's not just like an endless stream of Zakus and and gyms just taking each other out. Here it was like, okay, there are three Zakus and we have four squads on on Barbary's side. And so that way in your mind, you know you're about to see a very well thought out fight and you know the numbers involved. Pretty much every episode of ms igloo has been like that so whoever's writing i i I like that style yeah but yeah so barbary has prepped his four squads in like very specific positions right except for one squad who did something stupid the ones that climbed the tower they're like hey hey captain or whatever 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 barbary is hey lieutenant and he looks over and these idiots climb themselves up onto a tower which (laughs) might sound great from like a first shot perspective yeah. if you're fighting infantry <laughs> yeah but what do you do if you uh if you miss your first shot against zaku and now he knows you're on the tower and you can't get down you you are instantly dead i mean yeah and that's exactly what happened because <laughs> even though barbary held back on firing until you know after that infantry guy the federation soldier sadly got crushed just so barbary could actually get the zaku in range when he does give the order to fire, that tower's the first thing the the Zaku goes for because the Zaku does not go down in the first hit. No. I think it dodges all the hits. Yeah. I mean, they try their best, though. They shoot, what, three or four rockets at once? And I think yeah. only two of them hit, right? But they were aiming at, what, the knees, the mono eye, and the backpack, I think. So I really like that strategy, Like, right? They were really trying to break it down. Yeah. I think they miss initially, but they do eventually get a hit, and the Zaku goes down. Yeah, but his buddy comes riding over the ridge, though. A second Zaku was really close, and it, it wastes no time realizing there's, you know, a unit with missiles in the area. So it just opens fire on, like, the tree line, yep. trying to hit the infantry because, 
to Barbary's credit, digging in really made a difference because Izaku really doesn't know exactly where people are. Right. It knows where the tower is, though, and it goes over to the <laughs> tower and takes out a heat hawk and just smashes it. Oh, the yeah. heat hawk. That was brutal. I think that was a bit overkill, though. Like, as Izaku, couldn't you just punch that thing? <laughs> One would think. <laughs> He was being dramatic. He wanted them to know. like, <laughs> He wanted them to feel heat the moment they died. <laughs> yeah. And then, so the second Zaku takes out our pals in the tower, which I think was squad four. Uh, at this point, squads two and three have already been completely killed, I think, as part of the sort of indiscriminate firing. So now pretty much all that's left is squad one or Barbary squad. And I think at this point, they've also taken a hit, too. Yeah. But was it Lewis? He's the one that takes off after the Zaku, like in a Jeep, right? Yeah. he. I think they load their, their last missile on or whatever missile they actually have in the tube. They put on a Jeep and decide to, you know, head to the Zaku itself and start circling it to try to get a shot in the cockpit. Turns out, though, those Zakus, as we've seen before in 8th MS team, <laughs> are equipped with anti-personnel mines, which yeah. don't go well for, for Lewis. Now, poor Lewis and whoever else was in the Jeep with him, they just get turned into Swiss cheese. Yeah. Yeesh. I, I, I guess they didn't know, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't get so close. You know, It's early in the war. Maybe they just realized that we're dead. We might as well try. I don't know. Could be, he could be forgiven for thinking, okay, we're fast enough that if we go in circles around the Zaku, all they can really try to do is time a kick or a punch. So we'll we'll have enough we'll have a chance to get a shot, but he wasn't really count, counting on like a cloud of shrapnel falling on around him and killing him instantly. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, poor Lewis goes down, uh, which yeah. was a shame because he was a good character. I liked him. So now we're basically just down to Barbary himself. Yeah, and so he he grabs a Regina, and so it's now it's just him facing down one charging Zaku, and he catches a break. Uh, they're fighting in a quarry, which I believe they've mentioned a few times at this point in the story. And the floor breaks underneath the Zaku and it falls down. The only part sort of remaining is sort of like the upper half and Barbary can see the face. And so Barbary then just aims dead center and and blows away the Zaku's face with that Regina, which uh, was great cinematography. I thought that was a great shot. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was pretty cool, but I don't think he killed the pilot, did he? No, he just blew up the mono eye. Yeah, I guess we should say even when these Reginas hit the Zaku's, I don't feel like it's like a big explosion. No, I was trying to think like, is it penetrating inside the armor? But we don't actually see like an outward explosion. It was kind of hard to see what was happening. Like the few times they do get a hit, it's not, you know, a huge fireball. Like the knee goes out. Yeah, it's more of like a disabling tactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbary gets his shot, but um, he's the last man standing, Brian. Nobody's left alive in his unit. Maybe for a few seconds. <laughs> And guess what comes after Barbary after that? <laughs> a third Zaku emerges. The, the third one that we heard about that has been missing from the fight. It emerges from beneath the ground. And who's on its shoulder? Our favorite character. Our new favorite character. Excuse me. <laughs> Dagwin? <No. laughs> yes, the Angel of Death shows up again, taunting Barbary. And uh, Barbary decides to pull a Tom Hanks from Saving Private Ryan. And he takes out his sidearm and... Points it at the, uh, I wasn't really sure if he's pointing at the Zaku or the Angel of Death itself. And he fires away right before his death or his implied death. Yeah, I don't even think they show the Zaku shoot him, right? The episode just ends and it says, Barbary was KIA and he had total mobile suit kills at 13. Which is pretty damn good for someone with a missile launcher, I gotta say. Yeah, he's, I mean, if he was in a mobile suit, that would have made him an ace. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, so concludes uh, episode one of Gravity Front, and it's very clear that we will not be seeing Barbary again. <laughs> the poor guy. So, so at this point, Isaac, what did you think of death? I was still wasn't even sure if she was a hallucination and like was she gonna show up in the next episode i thought maybe at this point i was like all right maybe we're good maybe we're not maybe death's not coming back in this show yeah i thought death would be more of a um a bit of a neutral remorseful character like going around the battlefield and you know saying oh i'm I'm so sad that so many are dying you know this is my job or whatever something like that (laughs) but instead death is sort of a a loki type taunting personification right like she's very mischievous this is an evil form of death like you know like you're going straight to hell or you know there's no peace (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'd say as the episodes go on she actually takes a more active role in the story yeah but i i wasn't happy with her showing and the only thing that was really interesting to me was seeing infantry versus mobile suit combat in episode one other than that i wasn't a fan of the characters too much or um yeah much of the story itself yeah, I found both Barbary, and then we did meet, like, the, the major, the commander, whatever. I don't even know his name. He was very abrasive, and I did not like him in any of the episodes. So yeah. was Barbary, frankly, because he's kind of a crazy guy. Yeah, and actually, we see a character in this episode, episode one, that will appear in episode two, and that's Yandel, the tank commander. He mm. almost ran over Barbary, remember? When oh. Barbary was with the infantry retreating, he was the tank commander in that tank that... um. Almost ran him over. <laughs> oh, excellent. I did not catch that. I will say that some of the characters in this show uh, look a little samey to me. Yeah. Sometimes. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's just the CG, but it's a little bit hard to tell them apart sometimes. I actually think Death and the General look pretty similar. They both kind of have like feminine looking faces, right? Mm, a little bit, yeah. I mean, De- the General has a beard, but other than that, they're not too different. <laughs> I mean, Death is also wearing like a very gothic Final Fantasy X yeah, outfit. Like- armor that they got from world of warcraft or something (laughs) (laughs) since you mentioned yandel let's roll right into episode two which was called kings of the jungle roll out so i wasn't quite sure if this was going to be a transformers episode (laughs) about lions but the federation makes a deal with the autobots to defend (laughs) earth (laughs) wait they need all the help they can get based on that last battle we need the all spark (laughs) (laughs) episode two opens with a white zaku who we will eventually come to understand is the white ogre the white ogre Uh, and he's walking over a bunch of decimated type 61 tanks which are used by the earth federation these are like i don't know how would you describe the type 61 tanks isaac i don't think they're very unique I, I disagree to an extent. I'll say this. This is maybe the first time we see a close-up look of the Type 61s. And they're kind of, compared to our tanks in, you know, 2021, they're kind of super tanks. They have the double barrels that we all know. And they're also um, pretty large. But, unfortunately, Brian, as one of the characters mentions, there's a bit of a staffing issue. <laughs> so what normally would have been a crew of maybe, I don't know, four to six... It has to be a crew of two per tank. <laughs> yeah, and our main character for this episode, Lieutenant Herman Yandel, he has lost his number two. And so a new guy shows up, uh, Sergeant Laban Surratt. And Yandel starts him off right away with a combat drill. He says, get in the tank, we'll do a combat drill, uh, I guess, against their teammates. And they're basically playing paintball, but with tanks. And Yandel just kind of schools them all. Yeah, I don't... Was anybody on Yandel's team? It seemed like it was him versus all the other teams. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. I didn't I didn't really notice any teammates. 
I think Yandel also really pushed the tank to its limits, right? Because um, Surat's kind of telling him a few times, you know, we got to slow down. We're going to destroy our suspension or something. But it seemed like Yandel has maybe a custom tank or something because he's way faster than everybody <laughs> else. He just doesn't abide by the manufacturer's um, you know, guidance. <laughs> so like you said, the Type 61s have a dual barrel. He shot two tanks with one shot from the dual barrel, which I thought was hilarious. And that's got to yeah. be embarrassing if you're the, the other tank pilots. Right. They were like right next to each other. What were their leaders thinking? I don't know. That's terrible tactics. Yeah. So, um, oh, it was cool. We got to see a little bit more propaganda in this video, mm, right? Yep. Yep. It was Odessa stuff saying, you know, we're going to push him back. And uh, we see our favorite general again. He's got time to talk to Yandel, chew him out a bit. Yeah, what kind of general has time to talk to like one tank pilot? I don't know. I mean, I guess Yandel's like the best one though, right? I didn't really understand what their relationship was because that part, they he does like chew him out a bit. But then Surat basically goes to him and says, hey, you know, Yandel's kind of crazy. Uh, all he wants to do is kill the white ogre. And I don't think I can continue to serve with him. But Yandel turns out he's like standing right there. And then the the, <laughs> the commander guy or whatever he is, major, he's like, yeah, Yandel's kind of weird. But you know what? We need him for this operation. Get on board or, and, and deal with it. Yeah, and the operation itself is to specifically go after a group of Zakus, and Yandel specifically wants to go after the White Ogre, so he sort of fakes that the tank isn't working too well. As a result, he's allowed to kind of stick back while you know other tanks and other tank units go and fight some Zakus. So he sticks back with Surat a bit, and they're talking, and Surat actually sees death with Yandel. Yeah, and that's when I was like, oh, death is back. This isn't a one-episode thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, death is real in the UC. <laughs> this is canon. You know, you can see death. So I, I didn't like that at all. I thought it just got too weird. We kind of went off on a tangent. Now, Yandel's Mr. Death too, Mr. Death God. You know, if you're around him, you're going to die. And Surat sees that. I don't know. I thought that was just... So bizarre. But anyways, the white ogre realizes that a worthy enemy is not where he's headed. So he decides to fake needing maintenance and repairs too. <laughs> so he holds back. Yeah, the white ogre and Yandel seem to have a connection. A very like <laughs> Amaro Shar kind of, I must fight this person. I mean, in, I guess in the beginning of the episode, we did see that Yandel has fought the white ogre before. We eventually come to understand that the white ogre blew up Yandel's house and like his family, um, which oh, which I thought was a little confusing. I I didn't really get the sense that they were in a residential area in that first fight. Maybe it occurred in a different fight or something, but a little strange. So anyway, Yandel hates the white ogre. White ogre, like Isaac said, just wants a worthy opponent because I guess if you're a Zaku pilot, these Type 61s probably aren't the most challenging things. Like if you're just fighting Type 61s and infantry people all day, I don't know. Do you get bored? kind of fish in a barrel right it's like uh you know a bunch of rc cars showed up while you're walking and you know they try fighting you when you just kind of walk around kicking them yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is kind of a one-way relationship though right because yandel knows about the white ogre he's obsessed with it i'm not sure the white ogre specifically knows the type 61 that yandel's in or how much of a a bond love hate relation or well, hate relationship they have <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, he just says, I feel that there's a worthy opponent here, but he doesn't necessarily know that he's the guy that he fought before. And like you said, all the type 61s look the same. So to him, they're all tanks. So 
He holds back, and then the white ogre decides to attack a specific area. And, of course, Yandel and his tank unit are there, Brian. <laughs> yes, and uh, before the battle started, we did find out that Yandel's plan, when he talked to the major, the commander, was that he would leak fake intel to Zeon to draw the white ogre in. And we will eventually find out what that was. But when the battle starts, they make it very clear that the white ogre and team believe that there are eight type 61s so that's eight type 61s versus the white ogre and two other zakus so it's eight on three here i'd still say the zakus are heavily favored to win to win this battle isaac yeah massively and they go at it and um i don't know those type 61s aren't doing good at the beginning <laughs> no i'd uh, three of them go down pretty much right away so you're already yeah. you're already down to five versus three and you weren't winning at eight versus three did you catch that part where Type 61 gets a shot on a Zaku, but it hits that Zaku's shoulder armor and bounces off? <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that. Finally, it worked. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, so now we know. Now we know <laughs> that Xeon armor does work, but they engineered it against Federation Type 61s, not against GMs. So that explains <laughs> the, the shoulder armor. <laughs> but then Yandel starts kind of kicking it into overdrive and giving some orders. So, you know, we're down three tanks, so now we're down to 5v3. Five, five um, another two do go down, which puts you at 3v3, but before they do that, Yandel says to, like, light them up or something, and they light one Zaku on fire with some sort of incendiary round or napalm or something, and so that Zaku is kind of, he's not down, but he's sort of, like, out of the fight for a few minutes. Before they can finish it off, another one, another Zaku comes flanking around, so then Yandel gives the order to just to everyone to just flashbang him, and not to look at the flashbangs, which is probably something you don't need to say if you tell someone to fire a flashbang, yeah. right? I don't know. In the heat of battle, it wouldn't hurt to say. It. <laughs> don't look at it. So this sort of blinds Zaku, and then they they are able to take down that Zaku by getting a direct hit onto that Zaku's mono eye. So now we're we're down to basically three v two. Still not great odds. And in fact, we go down to two v two pretty much right away because one of the Zakus steps on a tank. That's a bad way to go. Yeah, it's it, it crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> Yandel employs a pretty cool tactic. Yeah, brilliant tactic. He just says, fire all the smoke, fire all the smoke. So they, they smoke out both the, the white ogre and the remaining Zakus. <laughs> 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 Which I thought was a cool visual, right? Because it was it was like sort of nighttime at this, at this point, right? And yeah. the tanks are so small compared to the Zakus. Yeah, not only that, but like the smoke coverage, the tanks are like way below it. And the, the Zakus essentially can't see below chest height at this point because there's so much smoke. So the tanks could be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they have no idea what's going on. So they're just firing away. The The other Zaku, unfortunately, does kill the last non-Yandel tank, I'll call it. So now we're really just 1v2 with Yandel versus the two Zakus. Yandel and Surat, right, I should yeah. say. And so Yandel does something cool. He's like, Surat climb on some wreckage and give me some yeah. uh what does he say some elevation yeah use it as a ramp that was smart yeah he climbs up on the wreckage gets an angle and they take out the other uh, the non-white ogre zaku by shooting its cockpit which was that was yeah. like a, a real kill shot compared to the last oh. episode right Where, like they hit the hit the cockpit god it was point blank essentially after they got on top of like the burning wreckage of one of their friends <laughs> Thanks for the assist, pal. Yeah, it's like, even in death, you shall be useful to me, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the two Zakus are down and the only it's only Yandel left, we're, we're down to 1v1. Yandel versus the White Ogre, which is all, everything Yandel wanted. 
and the, the smoke is dissipating now and they search for each other and they, they, they see each other and they lock on and fire and very quickly the situation seems to have resolved itself Isaac because it appeared that Yandel's tank shots you know missed but the white ogre's shots did not and what we believe to be Yandel's tank is obliterated but as the white ogre is sort of gloating he sticks his cannon in the wreckage of what you believe to be Yandel and he's gloating but then he gets shot in the back twice and his backpack takes major damage and he turns around and he's like how is this possible uh it was only supposed to be a certain amount of squadrons it was supposed to be eight tanks and yandel says no we brought a ninth tank today a special composition just for this mission that was the the fake intel that yandel must have leaked he must have said we will bring eight tanks here and so once the white ogre destroyed eight tanks he thought he was done but lo and behold they had a ninth I mean, it's great for Yandel that the move worked, but it, doesn't that just mean that whoever the extra guy was that they brought along that moved at the very end was a sacrifice, Isaac? Not necessarily. He could have lived. <laughs> 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 if he was a better tank pilot. <laughs> Brian, this is war. Everyone is a sacrifice. <laughs> so Yandel got his wish. You know, he, he, he destroyed the white ogre. He's gloating a bit, maybe celebrating a little bit too loud because Surat turns around and sees the Angel of Death above him, and you have to wonder at this point that the Angel of Death has probably come to collect on Yandel's soul. And uh, I guess there was a Xeon infantry patrol just heading this way, maybe to back up the Zakus, and they fire several RPGs into Yandel's tank, and he falls in, and then it explodes from the inside. Somehow Surat lives, I guess. Did he exit the tank before this, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was outside the tank looking up. And he was on the other side of the tank, so the uh, the Xeon anti-tank crew, they couldn't really see him. Yeah. So he was able to sneak away or just get behind enough wreckage that, you know, it, it looked like the moment they took out Yandel, they they were kind of ready to leave. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing really left. It was it was a pretty barren, you know, wasteland of tank parts in this point. Yeah. And then we get the little report at the end saying that uh, Mr. Yandel is KIA with seven MS kills uh, in his career with his Type 61, which is still a lot for a tank. But still not as much as our our friend Barbary from this from the first episode. Man, I feel so bad for Yandel. I mean, he got what he wanted. Yeah, he took out the the white ogre, but at the same time, uh, he didn't technically even die gloriously in battle. He was shot from behind when he <laughs> thought he was safe. I, well, very very much mirroring the white ogre's death. They really were bonded. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Oh, his death looked painful, too, because, like, the tank takes the hit in the back yep. from the Xeon anti-tank missile. He screams at first, and then, like, parts of the tank blew up, and then you're like, okay, maybe he'll be all right. And then, like, he screams again and falls all the way into the tank, so I'm guessing whatever he was standing on collapsed from yeah. an explosion, and then the little hatch where his head was at before, it just gushes fire, so, you know, you know he's gone. Yeah, it looks like a volcano went off in his tank. Yeah, so they they hit the fuel or something. And if there's anything I've learned from watching MS Igloo, is that tanks are dangerous, and you, you don't want to be a tank pilot. No, you don't. Don't be a tank pilot. <laughs> That's it for episode two. Surat lives, and Yandel's dead. Did you like either Surat or Yandel? I mean, I guess I liked Yandel more than Barberry. <laughs> I can't say I really liked Surat though. No, he was so bland. But Yandel had some panache. You know, he <laughs> he was a gung-ho tank pilot. He was ready for have like a, a glorious battle and take down the white ogre that, you know, he was his mortal enemy. 
was kind of curious about the white ogre. Like we never even saw what he looked like. We just saw the back of his head, which is something repeating, I guess, with Zeon as an enemy since in episode one. We didn't see the uh, any of the pilots of the Zakus. We saw like a silhouette. <laughs> that was it. That's a good point. Yeah. We did learn his name. It was Captain Elmer Snell. Yeah. Interesting name. Uh, yeah. I wonder what his other exploits were. Killing lots of Type 61s. <laughs> That's exactly what he, what he was good at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was before Mobile Suits, so it's not like he was ever in combat against gyms or anything. So ends episode two. The real winner is death. Again. So 2-0 to, for death here. Episode three... Odessa Storm of Steel. Now I gotta say, Isaac, this was the best episode of the three. Yeah. I, I really liked this one, barring maybe the death parts. But overall, I think this was the strongest one. Yeah. It's also the only one with mobile suit versus mobile suit combat. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman. And a woman as the main character. Yeah, we don't get that very often. But I also feel like yeah. it just opens pretty strong, right? We open in a mobile suit battle. Right away, you see that some time has passed because we see some ground GMs, which we first saw in 8th MS team, at least in animated form. I forget who's giving the message, but they're basically saying, look, General Revel is pushing forward hard to kind of retake Europe um, to make up for all the humiliation that the Federation forces have been you know, taking over the last several months on Earth. Did you see the, I'll say, the, the call out in the first episode? Not quite a name drop, but there was a gal, and it was taken out by two core fighters, Isaac. Every time I see those gals get shot out of the sky, I just think what paper tigers they are. As big as they are, they go down even harder. Yeah, it took like a little missile to the wing, and it was like, ah, we're done here. <laughs> just <laughs> It like does a barrel roll once that wing catches on fire. <laughs> <laughs> they they remind me of like the spruce goose. So big, but pretty useless. Yeah, and it has to like fly low to the, low to the water, right? Because <laughs> it was so poorly engineered. <laughs> <laughs> if it flies at all. But those ground GMs are doing pretty well. Um, you know, they're marching back, they're pushing back against the Zakus. But then they start getting pounded pretty hard from, from long range by a uh, Zeon tank thing, which I don't think we've seen before. I could be wrong, but it's called the Dobde. Or the, or the Dabude. I don't remember when the last time we saw a Dobde. Is that what Makuve had in the original? Yeah, I think so. For, for all the good it did. <laughs> <laughs> for all the good it worked at Odessa. Yeah. But we get some reinforcements because three gun tanks arrive. And these are gun tanks that look a little different than the gun tanks we've seen before. Yeah, they're headless. <laughs> yeah, it's a little creepy, isn't it? Yeah, they look more like tanks that just have a, um, a, a, a pilot section with arms that can move up and down. Yeah. These three gun tanks are led by a woman named Arlene Nizan. They're not exactly a volunteer corps of pilots, are they, Brian? No, Arlene and her squadron, it turns out they are convicts who are doing this to get clemency on their sentences. Do we find out what the other pilots did to end up in their position? I don't think we do, right? I don't think we do, though I I got the impression that they were part of Arlene's gun tank program, but I'm not positive. Because they were like really in it with her. Like They were super excited to also destroy the Dabde or the Dabude. I mean, they would be motivated to do the operation, but maybe not to kill themselves. Yeah, that really explains why they did so well in the cockpit. <laughs> I I thought these gun tanks were great, Isaac. They were cool. What did you think? I think they look hideous, but they were beasts on the battlefield. Their speed reminded me of the Hildorf. They yes. were just zipping around, blowing things away. Yes. I want to see this gun tank fight the Hildorf. Oh, wow. That's a coin toss. Yeah, three versus the Hildorf, I think. I, I know. I'll give it to the Hildorf. <laughs> oh, I would say the Hildorf's probably still better. 
but the these these gun tanks were no were no laughing matter. They were zipping around those Zakus like nothing. She has to lead them essentially against a group of Zakus that are being guarding Makuve at his mining outpost, the last part of Odessa that hasn't been conquered. Pretty much, I mean, the the battle in this episode is pretty much the Battle of Odessa, I, I guess, and and the team we're following, the 44th, is they're they're t- trying to take a particular hill, which is Hill 144. Um, I like that every hill is named. The Zeon forces trap the GMs in this vicious smoke trench thing. Yeah, I don't get how they had no idea there would be like a trench in front of them, and then they just <laughs> ran headlong into it. And like it was lined with dynamite or some explosives. Yeah, they blew up the gyms, and then oh, did did you enjoy that part too, where the one gym that survived uh, tried to get out of the trench, but then the the Zeon infantry like sped by on their like you know Zeon equivalent of a speeder bike and put mines on its head and then ran away and blew it up. I thought that was great. Yeah, now we finally know what those speeder bikes we saw in episode one were for. (laughs) But so the commander's like, hey, you know, go back up the gyms, Arlene. And then I really liked this part because the the guys on her team were like, "How do we back up? We don't. We've always had to go in first. We're not sure how to back anyone up." So they just charge in, and <laughs> and I I just started cracking up. I was like, oh, "I like these guys. They've got some. They've got some style." Yeah, and this whole time though, Arlene is um, she's she's kind of having some flashbacks, right, Brian? She's uh she's not completely on the battlefield. Her mind's thinking of the past. She is. She's holding this this photo of some blonde-haired guy. I assumed it was her, you know, lover or ex-boyfriend or husband or something. Doesn't seem like they're together anymore, though. The only other thing we know about their past is that Arlene said that these gun tanks were an older design. The specs were stolen and presumably given to Xeon, and then development was deliberately shut down. That explains why they don't look like normal gun tanks and exactly why she's been chosen to pilot them along with what you assume is her her science crew or her technical assistants or whatever. So that's why they're there in the fight against what's left of Xeon during Operation Odessa. And this is also the same time when the gun tanks reveal that they have like a, a driving mode, which apparently is called the assault mode, but I, I like driving mode better. They were so fast, Isaac. Yeah, like Hildor fast. And they're just blown away Zakus and they, they don't really seem to pay much mind to infantry. Well, at least I thought they weren't until a few infantry shot at her <laughs> so she like uses one of her arms into she, she it's a flamethrower one of her arms is a flamethrower and she just roasts a bunch of zeon infantry alive <laughs> hey she said i have no problem with you and then yeah she just like napalmed them or, or, or whatever that thing was it was pretty brutal i mean i don't know what they were thinking using a machine gun against a, a gun tank but that, that's what you get <laughs> and yeah you're right these things can spin and like slide it's kind of like mario kart you know, where the Zaku yeah. has to, like, take a step to the side and turn around. She can just kind of, like, drift around in, in the desert, uh, which is pretty cool. And they also have, like, mines. I thought that was really cool. Like, as much as they're speeding around and some Zakus are kind of chasing after them sometimes, they can drop a mine behind them. And the Zakus are kind of dumb enough, I guess, to step on the mine or get close enough to it that it detonates and kills the Zaku. Oh, yeah, that was really neat. Along those same lines, I did like how all the equipment they were using would, con- like, after they had used it, they would detach it so they could go faster. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of go faster, or at least go, uh, guess who's there actually at the battle? It's our best friend, General Arrogance. He's actually in the tank. Yeah, he's in the hover truck. Yeah, he's he's helping out. <laughs> it's the same hover truck that's in 8th MS team, or the same model, not the same one, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. 
cool callback. Did you see the other callback to 8th MS team in this episode? No, what? Oh, okay. Elidor's song? <laughs> it was, I think it was during the initial charge. Uh, after they finish off some Zaku's, a goof custom comes running out. Ooh, the wow. same model that Norris Packard pilots in 8th MS team. And it goes down in about three seconds. <laughs> so it was a pretty poor showing on the Goof Customs part and for that pilot. Now, he did make a dumb move. He came charging straight out. A Goof is not a ranged unit. He was in the middle of a desert. He just starts shooting against a long-range unit. So what do they do? They shoot him in the chest. But that was a terrible showing. This was a mistake. The Goof Custom is a great suit. They should not have sullied the memory of the Goof Custom <laughs> with this poor showing. In the Guff's defense, it clearly wasn't being piloted by Norris Packard. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. If Norris was there, he would have he would have killed that army single handedly. <laughs> Absolutely, that's right. But I was pumped to see it show up, and then it immediately died, yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm embarrassed. I was pumped to see the Doms, but they didn't do well at all. <laughs> no, the one Dom at least cut off her cannons. Yeah, but <laughs> then the Dom got killed. I believe this is also the point where she closes into the Daboob or Dabuday. Dabuday, whatever it's called. Yeah. Xeon Landship. So, so she's closed in to the Xeon Landship. Xeon forces are kind of routed or, or destroyed. And off in the distance, oh my God, Brian, it, there's another landship. There's two. They thought there was only one of these things, and turns out there's two. She, she has a moment of crisis here. Yeah, she's damaged one. <laughs> At this point, we've come to find out that her boyfriend in that photo is the one that stole the plans and leaked the plans to Zeon, and then he defected. So it turns out her and her team are really pissed at this dude, and that's why they are on this mission to yeah. kind of destroy this Zeon landship. And uh, as you said, they've already damaged the, the, the one that they thought was holding the guy. And the way they damage it, Isaac, is pretty, is pretty gnarly. So there were again there were three gun tanks. One of them got the, his tread messed up by a Zaku, but instead of just staying there, he grabbed the Zaku and self-destructed. And that's where we learn that they've brought along a whole bunch of explosives on board, specifically so they can kamikaze into this landship. That's a <laughs> that's a bold plan. Yeah, I mean, there's kamikazes happening all around because some of the Zakus were kamikaze Zakus, if you remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, things got a little too kamikaze here in the story for me. I thought that was, was all kind of reckless. We've never heard of zombie, kamikaze zakus. That's a bit much. And this whole kind of back and forth exposition with her having flashbacks of talking to, you know, the, at the court martial trial about how, oh, you leaked information to your, your boyfriend and he went off to Zeon with the gun tank information. What the heck is... I was thinking this whole time. What is Zeon going to do with gun tank information? The Zaku is superior to the gun tank. You <laughs> well, know? I don't know. These Zakus aren't too, faring too well against these gun tanks. That's true. You got me there. But um, as we find out, Brian, this was a case of plans within plans, wheels within wheels. Yes. And maybe information kept confidential that maybe shouldn't have been. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so the second gun tank pilot has damaged the land ship by self-destructing on it. And so now we have uh, Arlene trying to decide whether she finishes off the damaged one or whether she goes after the new one. And as she's sitting up on this hill, deciding, she gets a visit, Isaac. It's death. Death shows up again with her incredible hair. 
And uh, <laughs> she, she says, I'm here. I'm here. And you're going to freak out because you never thought you'd see death before, did you? So Arlene's a bit stunned, to say the least. She's having a moment as she sees death on the battlefield. And death tells her to attack the new one if she, if she <laughs> trusts death. Hi, I'm the angel of death. <laughs> Let me give you some advice. Do you trust me? The guy you want is in that yeah. one over there. Choose that one. Let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> I have n- no ulterior motives. <laughs> so in the heat of the moment, Arlene maybe foolishly takes death's advice. And she charges towards the new one. But she mows through three Magella attack tanks. She makes some Ozakus look a little f- foolish. Dispatches some doms. And then she runs over Ozaku, which I thought was hilarious. So she, it's just down to her and the land ship now. And so they're firing at her. She's firing at them. She takes some bad damage, what I would consider to be fatal mobile suit damage, right? Her suit's not going to work very much longer. Um, But she does end up, like, right in front of it. So right within the explosion range. And at this point, the land ship knows what she's about to do because they saw it happen on the other one. And they try to, they try to, they basically just say, hey, throw it in reverse. (laughs) Don't run over. Which maybe a little late at that point, right? Yeah, and also, like... (laughs) They had a long time to reverse, but they don't seem to be moving at all. Does that no. do the gears in that land ship need a while to sort of switch and re- relocate before they can actually move the treads backwards? I know it's a big ship, but you know, maybe they were figuring that they were, would have been within the blast radius anyway. I, I don't know, but I agree they were kind of just sitting there. Or may, maybe they the ships don't go time. in reverse very often, or they've been damaged. I don't know. They have to figure it out. But anyways, they said go in reverse, but they stood still. Instead of reversing, Arlene gets a call. She gets a special message. <laughs> yeah, from her. Did we even ever learn his name? I mean, I know you can look up his name on no. the wiki, but did they ever say it in the episode? It was Steamy McTrader. <laughs> Steamy McTrader. Yeah. It was Honeypot Joe. Honeypot <laughs> Joe is back at it again. He's here to here to make you give up your information and, and spread your legs. <laughs> <laughs> and so he basically comes on the, the comm and says, hey, uh, Arlene. How's it going? I didn't know you were still alive. I didn't mean to betray you, and I still love yeah. you. And I was like, "Really, pal?" Yeah. Like, what is he doing here? I, I was, my mind was trying to piece this story together, thinking maybe I missed something. I'm watching a sub, and then the revelation happens at that moment, right? Or, or does it happen when she, uh, she bites the bullet? She's about to self-destruct, and then the then death comes back, and says, "Oh, Arlene, if you do that, you're gonna regret it." But then in my mind, I was like, well, you were the one that told her to attack this one. She could have went and attacked the other one, but you told her to come over here. And then that's when Honeypot Joe calls and says, I love you. <laughs> Did you believe him at that point? Yes. And I'll explain why. Because that's the only way the story makes sense. Because didn't, didn't General Arrogance later on get on the radio or something and say, or, or maybe it was Death that explained you know, the reason you were told not to attack that new one is because Honeypot Joe is a double agent. He made Xeon trust him by giving them gun tank information, which is next to useless anyways. <laughs> and now he's been feeding the Federation information about all of Odessa this whole time from inside a Xeon land base. So yeah. that is why Odessa, at least partially, went so well in this area, at least. They were getting information from Xeon by someone Xeon trusted. Yeah, Death tells her that after she says, screw it, and, and hits the self-destruct anyway. She was yeah. told by General Jerk to, or Commander Jerk, whatever his name is, to, to just not attack that Xeon yeah. landship, which was very strange, right? Very strange order. I mean, he should have explicitly said, we have an agent in there or something. 
you know. But then again, maybe Zeon's listening too. Who knows? And um, he couldn't really get in specifics. But regardless, Arlene doesn't listen, blows herself up, and then she wakes up away from the explosion. And at this point, you're wondering, how the heck did she survive? And the answer is she didn't. The camera pans out. Death is right next to her. And Death just says, you are a dying flicker of light. And then that's when she reveals the, the big reveal that Isaac just outlined. Uh, Arlene is kind of just shocked and in awe. Uh, the ending was very weird, I thought, Isaac. Death just says, let me bring you you two together in exchange for your soul. And then she kind of just walks yeah. towards her, and that's and that's it. The episode ends. Yeah, we don't even get what we've got in the last two episodes, you know, the final black and white image of the character and then, like, their kill count, you know, because she blew, she blew everybody out of the water. Oh, she's ace pilot for sure. Yeah, Those things were she, great. She must be approaching 50 kills or more. Yeah, that was great. You know, but we didn't get that. She she deserved it and she earned it. She didn't get that. And, uh, God, she was in that self-destruct mode for, like, 30 seconds. The Xeon land ship was right over her, didn't bother reversing. In 30 seconds, they could have gotten well clear of the blast. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Or at least gotten some people out of the ship to go shoot her or, or something. Yeah, what was going on in that Xeon land ship when, like, the double agent, when Honeypot Joe grabbed, like, the, the communications, you know, microphone or whatever, radio, and, like, started saying this stuff about how much he loves the gun tank pilot, like... Wouldn't everybody on that that land ship nearby, the captain or the crew, just kind of look at him sideways and maybe reach for their sidearms? Yeah, I mean, at this point, he would have been put in jail at the very least, right, after this? I mean, he doesn't really have a future after that conversation, does he? No, he'd have to hope the Federation got to him on that land ship or if their commander surrendered. Maybe he was the commander. Who knows? And then, you know, they essentially take him back and they're like, oh, yeah, good job. Thanks. You know, we'll give you a medal. Yeah, but critical information was kept from Arlene. Yeah, for no, maybe no real good reason. I mean, maybe you don't have to tell her before the mission, but like you said, when uh, the jerky guy called on and told her not to fire on that one, he maybe needs to give a little more context. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Okay, would the lie have only have worked if Arlene and her crew became prisoners, if they did get court-martialed? If that didn't happen and the guy just ran off to Xeon with intel on the gun tank, would, would Xeon have somehow known, like, oh... The science crew, they clearly are still walking around free, so your information's useless. You're a double agent. We're going to kill you. Uh, how, how close of an eye on, on the science crew is Zeon keeping where they had to go into jail? They had to be kept in the dark. Agree. I mean, and you, you still could have done it. I mean, we do this in real life, right? I mean, you still could have sent them to jail, but then when they get to jail, you could have just taken them out of jail and, re- and had some employees stand stay in jail in their place and give them new identities i mean we have a witness protection program in the real world i don't see why those particular people had to like legitimately take the fall yeah so out of the three episodes i say this one sticks the landing the least i really wanted a closure a sense of closure at the end a better ending but we didn't get that you know episode two we have sort of a, a revenge tale, you know, enemy versus enemy. Episode one, we sort of have a, a man haunted by death, you know, trying to trying to take down a, a giant to him, a group of giants to him. Three, they sort of try to do sort of a, a half love revenge story, lover's quarrel story. I don't know. The, the gun tank scenes were great, but this whole sort of half done half baked idea with the double agent and the information and she was in prison but she didn't know that was all just i thought it was a bit of a hot mess 
Yeah, I, I think I would agree. I think the endings for the first two are, are more definitive and maybe more satisfying. But the I think the overall episode, I think I still like three the best in terms of just the action and best combat for sure. Pacing, it just it kept me more attentive. I think in the third episode than the others. But yeah, I agree. The the ending of the third was a little kind of like what? Yeah, the whole story and reasoning for the actual you know characters' motivation, all that doesn't really hold up. But I mean, wow. Uh, this was glorious gun tank battle. Probably the best <laughs> gun tank performance we ever see in the series. Yeah, it'll make you a fan of the gun tank, right? Yeah, with this version of it. Yeah, this particular gun tank. Right? Yeah, this this is like the, on the short list of cases of like the designer of the mobile suit or the scientist technicians that work on it. They're actually way better at it than regular pilots. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, who knows how they customized it? But man, they were they were savages on the battlefield, and like you said in the beginning, uh, they don't even you know do like evasive tactics or anything. They like make a beeline for the Zaku. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we'll just go get him. It's fine. <laughs> And the use of Zakus, they don't even take them in the initial battle, right? Like, they, <laughs> they're heading straight for them. The Zakus didn't get, like, one kill or one hit. It was a pretty rough day for the Zakus. Actually, well, in the Zakus' defense, this is the later part of Odessa, so maybe they're tired and, you know, they might be focusing on, like, those ground GMs or ground tanks or something. And Yeah, and the Zakus yeah. outdated at this point, I'd say, but... yeah. They, they, I mean, if they dealt with gun tanks before, since we're seeing, you know, ground GMs walking around, maybe they had a low opinion of these gun tanks and they thought, oh, these are just the same, you know, ones we destroyed the other day. It'll, we, we should focus fire on the ground GMs. Yeah. But nope, Arlene's leading them. And those are headless horsemen gun tanks. <laughs> so <laughs> you prepare for death. Yeah, she was a beast. Definitely one of the better pilots we've seen. Yeah, my God. Like, step it up. Come on. Get some more stories with female pilots. Her whole team fought in a way that reminded me of Amaro. They fought like people were just in their way, like just obstacles, and uh, and they just kind of dismantled them. Brian, are you saying Arlene might be a new type? Oh, I mean, mm. you know, all these people, they are seeing death. Maybe, maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. I mean, hey, Amaro saw the dead. He saw Lala. Yeah. Maybe all these characters have some new type abilities. That's why they're seeing death. Mm-hmm. That would have been a better way to explain it. Yeah, also a better way to explain their their insane performance against impossible odds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh, Barbary, he was a new type, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who else could get that shot? <laughs> Do you think, though, there's like a like an after-death club with the new types where, you know, like new, like Amro's oh. playing poker with Char and then like Barbary <laughs> shows up and they're like, oh, God. This I mean, guy, like, does he have to be a new type? Do we does he have do we have to let him play? <laughs> and you see, there clearly seems to be some type of life after death to an extent, right? Because yeah. we could see Lala. So I'm not sure if that means your actual sentience goes on after death, or if it means just a vague memory of you's left. You know, yeah. that's why Shar, for all his experience and skills, he can't exactly have conversations with Lala anytime he wants, right? Or yeah. same with Amaro. They just kind of. Her, she'll pop up when she wants to pop up. <laughs> right. And that's it, Isaac. We've now reached the end of MS Igloo. So this yes, this third one was from 2008. That was the last one. They've not done one since. I haven't heard any news of any further ones coming out. From 2008, feels like 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that CG doesn't age great. So what's your rating on uh, MS Igloo 2, Isaac? Oh, boy. MS Igloo 2. <sighs> For a number of reasons, 
I'll list them right now. Uh, weaker characters, not having the same characters throughout all three episodes. Some bizarre concepts with, with the personification of death, the angel of death, the death god. I'll give this two and a half out of five horrors. If you enjoyed Igloo and you'd like to see some interesting perspectives from the Federation side about the war that's not involving the Gundam, check it out. But if not, it's something you can skip. Brian, what's your rating? I agree. I think the first two were a little bit better than MS Igloo 2. I agree the characters in this one maybe weren't as memorable, even though I did like Arlene. I think the overall story wasn't as satisfying, and I can't tell if that's just because we didn't follow the same characters or just because the sort of subject of the day maybe wasn't as intriguing as the first six episodes. So I I think my rating would be, uh, on my 10 scale, probably a a 6.5 for this one. It's st- I still recommend it if you're a Gundam fan. I still think it, it's, it's got some good additions to the lore, particularly with the last one for Odessa. But I, maybe this one just feels like a disappointment, Isaac, because the other six episodes were so good. Yeah, it's it almost doesn't even feel like it should be part of MS Igloo. It should have been called, I don't know, MS... Uh, MS Death. <laughs> Gundam Federation Stories or something. I don't know. Gundam Death on Earth. Who knows? But yeah, overall... Removing death from the story would have made it better, I felt. Not great. I agree. I agree. I, I think I would have yeah. went up to seven and a half if death wasn't here and you just used something else yeah. to accomplish that. So weird. It's the same crew that gave us that great story with the Xeon mobile development team. And then we end up over here with like death haunting three characters. They're not even that closely related in, in their story. Just bizarre overall. If you're not like a big Universal Century fan, this probably isn't something that you would watch. Yeah, just, I don't know, start 083 again or something. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I think MS Igloo was an enjoyable ride, and I'm really happy we watched it. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed uh, the whole story with Xeon. This Federation part didn't stick the landing, but um, it's a really good series overall. To watch it. Yeah, see the first parts of MS Igloo. This third part, Gravity Front, you can skip it. If you want to see it, go for it. Other than that, though, a great time with a Xeon side story. Indeed. All right, everybody, that's it for us today. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And remember, before you go to sleep, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail Xeon. Good night, everybody.